Um, I want you to stand up if you've ever ran a 5K. All right. If you've ever ran a 5K, just if you ever ran five kilometers. Three months. Um, okay. Sit down if at any point in that 5K you stopped to walk. Stopped running and started walking. Okay. No, at the, the one time you're thinking of. <laughs> okay. Uh, stay standing if you have ran a 10K or more. <laughs> oh, um, stay standing if you've ran a half marathon. Got some half marathons? <laughs> did you stop to walk, Josh? <laughs> In your half marathon? You've never done I thought you just did a half marathon. Yeah. It was a 10 mile. What's a half marathon? 12. Okay. Stay standing if you ran a full marathon. Woo! So, Jay, Jay, you are an expert runner in the church. It's also a small week, so we don't have anyone to compare you to. Uh, much else to compare you to. So, why don't you come up? Tell us a little bit about your marathon. When was it? Uh, it wasn't a marathon. It was more than a marathon. Okay. Tell us about your longest run ever. My longest run ever was about 48 miles. It was sunset to sunrise. And so we were running with a big group of people, and uh, we would rotate through um, basically. Were you running from something? That's the only reason I can think of <laughs> to run uh, that long. <laughs> it was a fundraiser uh, for one of, this gal, and uh, she was fundraising for just, I don't even remember what it was for, but we were running with her, and so that was a, that was a big run. Okay. It was a big run. When you um, were running, did you ever look back to the start? There was no start line, so no. Okay. Never looked did you ever look back to the place in which you started? <laughs> I looked at the bed in the truck in front of us. It looked Kept really running. nice. It looked really <laughs> There was a truck leading the way. Eventually, I climbed in that thing. <laughs> That's how you got the 48 miles. <laughs> <laughs> Go sit back. <laughs> yeah, no. uh, when you were running, what was on your mind? That's a long run. Um, I don't know, man. It was like a group thing. So the... I think uh, aside from that, I, I've done a lot. I've done a lot of running. So I did cross country all in high school, and that's like that's what we did. Was we ran. We ran before school. We ran during lunch. We ran after school. We were all about it. And so the hardest runs um, you get in like a race is more accurate than than kind of like a freelance run with friends. Um, you, you're running, and you can really tend to just like zone out you get kind of in this um zone i was running up this mountain once it's called cultus mountain the entire run's about 18 miles so you go up you go back down it's a big big run um and i remember i was running up this this mountain and i was completely by myself and i'm out and just in the woods right there's no one else around me and i just start hearing like all the branches breaking and like all these things like is this a bear like that's right next to me <laughs> you know like you're like thinking like in kind of in fear um but i remember starting to pray during that run 
and like I was just in complete fog. I couldn't see more than a few, like maybe ten feet in front of me. And I just hear these branches breaking. I just start praying and praying, and like I just hit that point where I wasn't running anymore. I was just going up this mountain, and I was just like in like this weird spirit of prayer. Like I was up there before I even noticed it, and that's like you know an hour and a half later, two hours later. Um, so I mean, maybe that's. You've done. You did cross country. You've done a lot of different running. You yeah. get. You're saying you. Your mind gets in a certain zone. Where you know you have to get through it, and you need to get through it. Yeah, you get to a point where after a certain amount of miles, your body, it just kind of like, you really just feel it, and it's not like a, okay, um, I gotta like, I gotta think about that finish line. So now I just gotta think about this next corner, this next like, this next hill, this next down hill like you're just kind of thinking about all the little things and it becomes a part where literally it's just about getting that muscle to fire so you can put that foot in front of the other foot and like that's that's what matters the most is just that step by step because eventually your legs feel like bricks (laughs) and you're like ready to go you know (laughs) ready to pass out if you stop you're done you're you're gonna walk and it's gonna be hard to get going again 48 miles that's a long Long run, dude. Um, so we are in this text here, finishing up chapter 3 of Philippians. Um, chapter 3 of Philippians, he um, talks about straining towards the goal. And the, the language is that um, that you would talk about in running or um, moving towards um, the finish line. Straining, straining towards it, pressing on, pressing forward. He uses this language that um, is common with those who would run a marathon or run a race. And Paul, also in Corinthians, he talks about running a race. And he compares it to the spiritual race that we're in and how we're running. And so I'd like us to go ahead and read the entirety of these verses. We're going to read 12 through 21. And we're going to really explore this idea of this marathon, this race that we're all running, the spiritual race. Verse 12. If you guys would um, follow along as well. Not that I have already obtained this, or I am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is their destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for this text. 
Lord, I pray you open our hearts to it. Spirit, speak to us beyond anything I'm going to say. Speak with um, your Holy Spirit. Communicate the truth of this scripture um, to all of our hearts. I pray that we would have ears to hear and hearts to receive. God, during this time, thank you for your word. Thank you for all these people. I pray that you would bless this message in this time. Please be magnified. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, so. As we talked about, Paul's talking about a marathon. He's talking about pressing on towards the goal. And he starts off by saying, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, in verse 12. So what specifically is he referencing? Well, Paul had just talked about how there is this righteousness that he receives through faith. And how he could brag in his flesh. If anyone could brag in his flesh in the Jewish culture, in the law, if anybody could brag, it would be him. But he says, I, I, I forget those things. I, I refuse to brag or find any confidence in those things. And instead, I find all of my confidence in the work of Jesus. And then he transitions to talking about um, things he's doing in Jesus. The things he's doing in um, the spirit now that he is saved. So he's still not bragging in the flesh But he's telling us some very specific things about this race we're running, this spiritual race in Christ Jesus that we are, in fact, running. If you look um, here in verse 12, he says, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because uh, Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind me and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So he's referring here to what he's not already obtained. What he's referring to is the full righteousness in this life. Right? We talked about how Jesus, um, really he imputes his righteousness to us. He gives his righteousness, and he gives his grace, and he puts that on us by his grace and says, you are clean, you are holy, you are good, because I have died, and I wash you with my blood. And that's what we call justification. When when you believe, you confess with your mouth, you, you have faith, you are made righteous because of the blood of Christ. But how many of us still sin? We should all be able to raise our hands up and say, I still sin. But aren't you righteous? Aren't you holy? Aren't you elect? Aren't you chosen? Aren't you a child of God? Aren't you set apart? Why are you sinning? Right? Well, we are justified, but we are being sanctified, and we have yet to be glorified. So the process that we are in as believers right now is called sanctification. It's the process in which God is setting us apart, and we, by our own free will, are setting ourselves apart as well. We're continually, repetitively throughout our life, repenting of sin and following Christ, Um, saying, I'm wrong here. God, you're right. I'm going to work towards that. And so Paul's saying, I haven't already obtained this. He's saying, I'm righteous through faith. I'm ultimately justified, but I have yet to obtain the perfection, the holiness, the righteousness that um, comes with full sanctification and glorification. I'm still in this body of death, he says in other texts. I'm still a sinner. I still struggle. But, he says, 
you know, I, 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 I'm not there yet, but I press on towards the upper, upward call of Christ Jesus. I strain towards it, he says. He's using this language of running a race. He says, I view it as though there is this goal of perfection, as though there's this goal of holiness, as though there's this goal of righteousness, and I run to it with everything I can. I strain towards it as hard as I can and go towards that. I press on toward the upward um, call of God in Christ Jesus. What Paul is telling us here is not necessarily theology on how you get saved, but an analogy for how you live as a Christian, right? Because you could read this and think, well, I thought I was saved by grace. I guess that's not good enough. I still got to run this race and get to the end and get to the finish line. Paul's not telling us here some theology for salvation. He's giving us an analogy for how the Christian life should look. Because he continues, and in verse 15, what does he say? He says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. So he says that this isn't necessarily, this isn't the way that you get saved. You're already saved. You're already justified and considered righteous righteous and holy in heaven. But right now, you are still in a sinful world, in a sinful body, with decisions to make. If you're mature, you will see it as a race that still needs to be ran. An immature Christian abuses grace. An immature Christian says, well, I'm saved by grace. So I, I mean, if I mess up, whatever, it's no big deal. I, I, he, I'm saved by grace, no big deal. I can't lose my salvation. I'm just going to do what I want, and I, maybe I'll grow a little bit one day. Maybe when I get a little older, I'll get a little more serious. He says that's an immature way of thinking. A mature believer views it as a race with the goal of the upward call of Christ, and they run towards that call with everything they've got. They strain towards it with everything that they have. And he says, if you disagree, pray, and the Spirit's going to reveal it to you because I'm right and you're wrong. (laughs) He's like, this is the way you should think. If you don't think this way, God's going to reveal it to you in the process of sanctification. You will begin to see that there is a race to run in your life. It's not for your salvation. It's because of your salvation. Now, there is a doctrine that I I, uh, strongly disagree with called full sanctification. Um, It is those who believe that while you're on earth, um, in the process of sanctification, you can eventually reach this place where you have reached full sanctification and no longer sin whatsoever. Um, I, I don't see that. I mean, we see John writing the epistle of First John as a 90-year-old man. He was um, the closest to Jesus. He was, at that time, the only living apostle. And at 90 years old, talks about himself still sinning. So, you know, if anyone could have reached full sanctification, in my opinion, it would have been John. And then Paul, even towards the end, uh, you see in his letters, he goes from saying, I'm kind of a sinner, I'm really a sinner. And then one of the last letters he writes, 1 Timothy, he says, I am the worst sinner ever. (laughs) You know, so we don't see him going, I'm getting better and better. No, he just actually sees himself as worse and worse. He realizes there's more sin than I ever knew. My heart is more evil than I ever knew. You know, and so I don't believe that full sanctification um, is is a healthy doctrine. I actually think it's extremely dangerous. Um, and so what we do see, though, is that we grow, right? 
if you're struggling with the same year, the same sins years after years, there's something there that you're missing. You should be growing. You should be repenting. You should be learning to obey Christ, follow him in new ways, and grow and be more and more like him day after day, year after year for your entire life. You will never reach perfection because you're in this, a sinful body that naturally has sinful desires that you will always be battling, but you should grow in your faith and learn to fight your flesh stronger and with um, more success as you grow as a Christian. We all should. And we, we strain towards that goal, the upward calling of Christ. And then verse 17, he tells us, Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul, um, multiple times in his letters, says, you should imitate me. And why is he saying that? He knows he's a sinner. He knows that he's not perfect. But he also knows that one of the ways we grow is by seeing somebody who is doing something well, and we imitate them. And it's a part of our discipleship. It's a part of accountability. Hey, you seem to like be really good at getting in the Word and praying every day. Can you teach me how you do that? Because I really struggle with that. You know, we're imitating people. In discipleship, there's, hey, this is what I've learned from Scripture. Let me show you what I'm doing. Ultimately, you're making disciples of Christ, but in doing that, you have them imitate you. So Paul says, imitate me, and then he says, and then keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. He's like, if you see someone walking in a good example, imitate them. Watch them. Look at them and imitate. It's healthy. It's a part of how we grow. He says, um, you know, that this imitating helps us grow. And then he jumps to this next part where he starts to contrast those who do not know Christ with those who do, and he's making it clear that there should be an obvious difference in their lives. Verse 18, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears. Can you imagine him? He's writing this, and he's writing with tears, he says. Just thinking about this verse that he is writing right now, he is crying over what he is writing. I want you to picture someone who's not writing this, um, out of hate, but someone who is writing this out of grief for those he's writing about. Verse 18, I tell you, even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. He tells us a few things about them. He says they are enemies of the cross, their end is destruction. If you're enemies of the cross, if you're enemies of Christ, then there is no salvation for you. Your end is destruction. Your, your end is eternal damnation. He says their God is their belly. That means that they're, they're led by their own appetite, a fleshly appetite. And they glory in their shame. So they're not ashamed of the wrong that they do. In fact, they take pride in it. They, they take glory in it. And with all this really sums up with a simple fact that their minds are set on earthly things. 
Their minds are set on earthly things. So he contrasts those who don't believe, those who are led by the flesh and who have their minds set on earthly things. He contrasts that, and what he says is not us. That should not be how we define ourselves. That should not be how people define us when they look at our lives. We don't want them saying they're led by the flesh, their God is their belly, that they glory in their wrongdoing. We don't want people saying of us that our mind is set on earthly things. He says, for us, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. He says our citizenship is in heaven. So none of those things about the unbeliever should be true of us anymore. We should strain toward that goal. We should strain toward that calling we have in Christ as citizens of heaven. Not citizens of earth, not those who set our minds on things of the earth, but we set our mind on the citizenship, the calling we have as as children of God, as citizens of heaven. The Bible says that you're a saint, that Jesus has made you a saint. That's not something you earn and get venerated as a saint. It's something that all of us, as believers in Jesus Christ, we are called saints. We're, we're elect, we're set apart, we're chosen, he says. He says all these amazing things about us. And it's all true in who we are. So we should live according. It's a promise. It's what Jesus has, has ascribed to us, so let's live in it. Amen? So he says our citizenship is in heaven, and from that we await a Savior. Our Lord Jesus Christ, we're waiting on his return. His return should not scare us. In fact, it should bring us hope. We should continually be hoping that he returns, knowing that when he returns, all things will be made good. All things will be brought together the way that they should be. We will be made in his likeness, it goes on to say, that our lowly bodies, these bodies that we know lead us into temptation, right? That we have these fleshly desires that we're constantly bound. That's going to be all done away with. Our lowly bodies will be cast out, and we will have new bodies, glorious bodies. Get this, bodies like His. And if you read Revelations chapter 1, if you read in the Gospels of the Transfiguration, if you read in some of the prophets when they see the Son of Man, and we're going to be transformed to be like Him, shining white, robes that are beyond bleach they're so white we're going to be pure and holy and sinless we're going to be transformed to be like him in these new bodies how awesome is that i'm ready for that i'm tired of my body are you not just because i'm getting old and i play i go to top golf and i swing um the club a few too many times and my whole side is hurting for like two days not just because just of that you <laughs> just wait a few more years uh not just because um, I stub my toe and it hurts. Not just because I can get sick and Melissa gets sick and, and she uh, is unable to see. Not just because of the physical, but because of the spiritual, um, how much our bodies affect our spiritual life. I'm ready to pass on. I don't know about you guys. I'm ready to move on and be with Jesus. Because it's amazing. It's not something to fear. His return is going to be amazing. And we will be made like him. 
And I can't think of anything better than that. Paul wants us to set our minds on these heavenly things. And if you've been in church for any amount of time, you've heard that message, right? Set our minds on the things above. Let's go back here to uh, verse, I believe it's 14. No. He says in verse 13, Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. He's saying, I'm not there yet. But then he says, but one thing I do. And then he lists two things. The idea here is one thing that is two parts that I do is I forget what lies behind and strain forward to what lies ahead. It's two things, but they are one because you cannot do them without each other. Okay? You cannot just simply forget what's behind without looking forward to what's ahead. Because if you just forget what's behind and then have nothing to go to, it's pointless. And you'll certainly return to where you were. But you also cannot move forward without forgetting what is behind. You can't move forward in your spiritual walking, your spiritual calling, without forgetting what lies behind. This one thing he does is done in two parts. We forget what's behind us. We move forward to what's ahead of us. Amen? What do you need to forget that's behind you? Maybe a sin in your past that haunts you. You need to forget it and move forward. Maybe things that are right now in the present that are kind of consuming your mind, the things that you have your mind set on that are earthly things. Maybe there's um, times where you're led by your belly. You're led by the appetite of the flesh. What things do you need to say, I'm setting these things behind, I'm forgetting them, and I'm pressing on, I'm straining forward toward the upward call of Jesus Christ? We must forget, set aside, move forward. And then move forward, and not just casually. Like, yeah, next year I'll do better. You know, it's holidays right now. I'll start a new reading plan January 1st. Right, But right now, today, strain forward, move forward, press on. The language here is move, but not just so casually, but with everything you have, give it everything you can. Go forward to the calling you have in Christ, and that this is the mature way of thinking. That if you're not thinking that way, in fact, you're being immature in your spiritual walk. If you're not looking forward to what God has for you right now, and straying towards it, you're being an immature Christian. You're being a baby Christian. But moving forward and thinking of it and straining towards it is the mature way of thinking. It's a mature way of living in Christ. So in this text, Paul challenges us. He challenges us to, to move forward, to press on. He says that those who do not know Christ are focused on earthly things. We are to be focused on heavenly things. I'd like us to read a few other verses here. 1 Peter 1, 15 says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. What is your reaction when you read that verse? It could be a few different ones, couldn't it? 
When he says, be holy as I am holy, do you think, I'm pretty good at that? Do you think, oh, I really need to work on that? Do you think, come on, Peter, you know that's impossible. Why are you giving me an impossible goal? What are we thinking of when we read that verse? When the Bible tells us to be holy, to sanctify ourselves, to work towards the upward call of Christ, what things come to mind? Is it fear that we won't be able to do it? Is it, is it apathy that, you know what, I'm never going to be able to get there? Or is it conviction that I'm not there, but I need to work? It should be conviction. It should be something that says, yes, I, I am guilty for not being holy in certain areas, but I'm going to move forward and press on and work at it. You know, the difference between guilt and conviction is that guilt leaves you, um, it surrenders you useless. Guilt says you're good for nothing, to do nothing. Conviction says you're in sin, but you have a Savior who can give you victory and move forward in it. Yes, you sinned. Yes, you sinned. Repent. You should feel sorry. Your sin should grieve you, but you need to move forward. You have, you have clear action steps ahead of you. Take them. Move forward. That's the difference between guilt and conviction. God doesn't want us to, be, to feel guilty because that renders us useless. Satan certainly does. He wants you to feel as Guilty as you can so you won't do anything. The Holy Spirit brings conviction, which makes you realize your sin, but also makes you realize the victory you can have in Christ and to walk forward in that. So it's a sorrow over the sin, but excitement in the victory he has before you. So we're called by Peter here to be holy. In 2 Corinthians 3, 18, it says, And we all... With unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. From this comes the Lord, who is the Spirit. I love this verse because what it tells us is that we are beholding the glory of God with unveiled face. And because of that, we're being transformed. Transformation happens when we're looking at Jesus more than anything else. We're seeing the heavenly things with our spirit, and we're saying, I see it. This is amazing. He's amazing. What he has for me, what he's called me to is all so glorious. I'm beholding his glory. How can I not strain towards that goal? When we don't have our eye on the prize, it's easy to just forget about that. And when we just forget about what... The goal is when we forget about what the prize is, when we forget about the calling on our life, that's when we, we stop transforming. We stop being sanctified. We stop trying to be holy and set apart and instead get back to having our minds set on things that are earthly. That's when we get back to being led by the appetite of the flesh. Because we're not beholding. So how do we behold? How do we behold him? It's a weird word. It's a very biblical word. Like, I'm not ever like, I behold, <laughs> you know? I be holding this. <laughs> like, how do we behold? Well, we need to be investing in that relationship with Jesus. Not putting it last on our list for the day, but putting it first. Not putting it as something that we do as a side part, but it is everything. I will, everything I am, 
all of what I do, I want it to be in his glory, for his glory, and be me being transformed to be more like him. To have that as everything, to have that as the center of everything we do, everything we think. Think of it. When we so easily go astray, when we so easily turn to sin, isn't it because we're not beholding his glory? And we're setting our minds back on the things of earth. We're not realizing the citizenship we have in heaven. We must behold. I mean, read, read scriptures that talk about the glory of God. And see if you don't want to start transforming your life. Read scriptures that show his surpassing love. And see if you don't want to love him back. Right? It's all in response. It's not to earn salvation. So I said this is not theology for salvation, but an analogy for how the Christian life should be lived. But when you've got your eyes on that prize, the natural response See how good he is, how much he's loved you. The natural response is to want to love him back and to transform your life to look more like his. And he helps you with that. That's what the Holy Spirit's for. But he does not force you to stop sinning. The Bible never says anything like that. In fact, continually, over and over, Jesus said, you need to repent. Paul says, you need to repent. The, the, the apostles, when they would preach, they would start with, you're a sinner, you need to repent. We don't like to talk about repentance. We certainly don't like to talk about hell. We like to talk about the love of Jesus. We like to talk about how good he is. But Jesus talked about more. He talked more about repentance and hell than anybody else in the Bible. He's the one we say is the most loving guy, right? He wouldn't be a loving guy if he didn't tell us to repent of the sin that would lead to damnation. So Jesus here and Paul, by, by contrasting those who do not believe, says there is hell. It's real. Sin is real. And that stuff that you maybe you're going back to, the stuff that's catching your eye and pulling you away from Jesus, that's the old stuff. That's the stuff that would have got you damned if it weren't for the cross. So set your mind on the good stuff. Forget the old stuff. Forget all these things that are evil and are of this world, but set your mind on the things that are above. Set your mind on the heavenly things. Behold him. So, how do we sanctify our lives? What are some practical things we can do? Right? It's one thing to say, oh, we behold Jesus, but what are some of the practical things? The Bible tells us very clearly. One passage I love, he just lists a bunch of ways for us to sanctify our life. It's amazing. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 1, he says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus uh, that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. He says, we urge you that you know you've heard from us, you've received from us how you ought to walk and please the Lord. And he says, you are doing it, but do it more and more. Don't be content with where you're at in your spiritual walk, but more and more step forward in this. And then he says this, For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Colon. And he's going to list your sanctification, the process in which you get to participate in your sanctification. 
that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us to impurity but in holiness. Therefore, whoever discards us discards man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. He starts addressing sin, specifically sexual sin, and, and harming your brothers and impurities of all kinds. We sanctify our lives by casting aside sin and moving forward towards the call of Christ. Sanctification means repentance in every part of your life. And there are so many other scriptures you could read the rest of Thessalonians. Um, he continues to list the things for you. It's one of my favorite books, First Thessalonians, because it's so specific on the things that God wants to see in our life. Rejoice always to pray without ceasing, to give thanks in every circumstance. So he keeps listing and listing all the things he wants us to have in our lives. So, as we hear from Paul how we should strain forward, as we hear from these other scriptures, how we strain forward and forget. I would say this week, really think, really pray about the things you need to forget and to cast aside and move on towards the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Realizing who you are, not who you were. Right? It's easy to think about who you were. It's easy to live in that. But we're to live with who we are. We're a child of God. awesome is that? I don't know about you, but you know, some people are really into titles, right? Some people are just like, I just really want a title. Like a nice title. Like, I just want my name to have some letters after it. <laughs> right? Um, or a, letter, a couple letters before it. And all the titles that the world could give you, doctor, professor, PhD, or whatever. Um, there's no title worth more than the Christ gives us a child of God, a citizen of heaven. He calls us elected and chosen in him. Set apart, holy. All these things he says of us are true, so we must live in them. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for everybody who was here today. Thank you for this text. Thank you for um, the Psalms we read. Lord, I pray that we would just fall in love with your scripture, fall in love with you, that we begin to behold your glory in a new way, Lord. That we would ju just see how amazing you are, the king of the universe, the God of all creation, creator and sustainer of the universe, God. And you love us. You lay down your only son's life for us. How amazing is all this? God, I pray that we would behold your glory, that we love you because we realize just how much you love us, that we would transform our, our lives, that you would transform us in the sanctification as we repent and follow you, Lord, that you would um, give us the strength to obey, the strength to turn, to cast aside those things that um, are harming our relationship with you, that are pulling away from our calling, Lord, and that we would just with full focus on the prize. Run the race that you have set before us. 
that we would not be immature in our way of thinking anymore, but mature in realizing that there is very specific things that you want us to do, very specific things that you want us to run towards.